Hey everybody, what's going on? Welcome to Ask a Catholic Dude. My name is Nick and I am that Catholic Dude. Taking any of your calls, questions, comments, whatever have you uh, on the Catholic Church and anything having to do with Catholicism, scripture, faith, whatever, uh, feel free to call in. Um, but today we have, uh, we definitely have somebody calling in, or rather I'm going to call him and then we are going to, you are going to listen to us uh, discuss a pretty awesome topic here. Um, we're going to have Father Andy Davey on the line. And and uh, he's, he's a young millennial priest, and uh, we're going to be talking a little bit about the connections between Catholicism and Lord of the Rings. Uh, a lot of people know about you know the Christian you know undertones in you know C.S. Lewis's work uh, Chronicles of Narnia, but what a lot of other people might not realize is how J.R.R. Tolkien had his Catholicism strongly influence uh, his writings when he did uh, you know the Lord of the Rings series. So. Hang back, we're going to hang back, sit back and relax, I should say. And uh, we're going to have Father Andy Davion in just a few minutes talking God, Catholicism, Christianity, Catholic Christianity, and uh, the Lord of the Rings. So stay tuned here on Anchor FM. Thanks for listening to Ask a Catholic Dude. Hey everybody, welcome back to Ask Catholic Dude. Nick here, and, and I am that Catholic dude. And uh, we have our special guest here today. Uh, his name is Father Andy Davey. Uh, he's a priest of the uh, uh, Marians of the Immaculate Conception. Um, and we're going to be talking a little bit today about uh, Lord of the Rings here with Father Andy. So thanks for coming on, Father Andy. Hey, it's great to, great to talk about this uh, really awesome and, and really a, a, just a very uh, um, you know, popular topic in culture these days. All the movies, especially with you know, yeah, how, uh, I was always how it just the the love for this series just yeah uh, those years because I remember reading the books you know when I was younger and especially in high school and I mean it's it, it's great stuff but I think a lot of people miss the uh, the the kind of Catholic Christian undertones in it and I was just wondering if you could maybe maybe speak to that a little bit uh, to, to people that might not be so uh, Clued in on that aspect of Lord of the Rings. Sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, as far as you know, talking about it being good stuff, um, you know, there was a there was an interesting British uh, nationwide poll in 1997 of what is the greatest book of the 20th century, um, and it actually was by and large voted that the Lord of the Rings was the greatest uh, work of the uh, of the 20th century um, in English literature, and and I think it's because truth um, in, its, in its beauty and power, even though sometimes we don't like to see it, but when we know something's true and we know something's good and we know something's beautiful, um, whether we know it's, it's Catholicity or whatever, it can speak to our hearts and draw us in. Um, and, you know, as far as um, the man who, who wrote this, these great works, um, Tolkien, he was someone who had just a very fascinating um, uh, upbringing um, and one that really kind of speaks of someone who was deeply imbued with, uh, with the Catholic faith. Um, he, uh, he actually, uh, he, was, he was born in South Africa uh, in 1892. His, his dad um, passed away when he was only uh, maybe like three years old or so. And so... Um, his uh yeah so he didn't really have a father figure in his life for for a long time um 
his his um his um his mother Mabel, um she uh she was living in England, um with uh, with his name was John, uh, John Ronald Rule is is J R R, um and his brother Hillary. Okay. And uh, little by little, Mabel um started to just become um uh, immersed in the Catholic faith and then actually converted. Um, that was a that was a very difficult thing for her to do, because in doing that, um, she was originally uh, part of uh, the Church of England and Anglican faith, and at that time, by, by doing something like that, you were crossing uh, a line of no return, and so the entire family cut her off economically, um, emotionally, all of that, and so she. Was, so there was a lot of prejudice still at that time in the in the early twentieth yeah, century. Then really, there really was. Um, and so she's a widow. She doesn't have any major source of income, and she doesn't have any family to take care of her. Um, and wow. so really, uh, it was actually a Catholic priest. His name was Father Francis Morgan, and he was from the same huh. group of priests as uh, Blessed John Henry Newman um, and St. Philip Neri, um, the, the oh. oratorian. And uh, right. he, um, he actually started to financially take care of this family. Um, and really become the father figure um, for J.R.R. Tolkien. Um, and uh, J.R.R. Tolkien even would say, like, I first learned charity and forgiveness from him, from Father Francis. Um, in light of that, it pierced even the liberal darkness out of which I came. So all of the stuff that he went through, um, he, he learned that charity and forgiveness from this Catholic priest. Um, Mabel actually, um, later on, because of all the stress, because of all the... Um, the persecution against her and not having, you know, not not having the means and stuff like that and always having to work, um, she actually gets mm-hmm. sick and she dies. Um, and oh, so man. Tolkien, when he, was a, when he was a young child still, um, lost his father and his mother. Um, and so who was the one that took care of him? It, it actually was this, this Catholic priest um, in uh, his that, mom's will. His, yeah, his, his mom... Said, um, I want Father Francis to be the guardian of um, of my son, and uh, oh so my God, he, well, father in a real sense, in a in a, in a physical yeah. sense, and in a spiritual sense too. Then, yeah, yeah, it's, and so he just has these memories of serving at daily mass, of seeing the the brotherhood of the priests in the oratory. It was a, like a religious community, um, and uh, he just really just becomes imbued with um, the sense of the Catholic faith. Um, yeah, it was pretty amazing. He, he even later on would tell his, um, uh, his, his son, who was fighting in the battles of World War II, he said, um, he said to him, out of the darkness of my life, um, which is so much frustrated, I put before you the one great thing to love on earth. And you could think all these other different things, but he says, the Blessed Sacrament, wow. or the Eucharist, uh, or, you know, the body and blood of Jesus Christ, there you will find romance, glory, honor, fidelity, and the true way of all of your loves on earth. And so that's the guy who wrote the Lord of the Rings. Thought that I mean it's like I, I don't remember you know any of my teachers ever saying any of that like, I don't remember any of that before you know the uh, Pasco and just like I I love hearing about his 
his love for the Blessed Sacrament. I mean, that's that, that's amazing because it sounds like oh, in yeah. describing the Blessed Sacrament, it, it sounds like he's describing you know like uh, uh, an awesome story. I mean, that, that, that's that's what his description yeah. sounded like to me at least. And and you know what's so cool about that is that's exactly how he how he looked at the great stories um, of of mankind, the the great myths. Um, there's this whole. Uh, some people don't realize, but C.S. Lewis, who is the author of the, the Chronicles of Narnia, very very beloved Christian apologist. At one time, mm-hmm. he was an atheist, and then he became an agnostic. And then he became a believer that God was out there, but not necessarily Christianity. But it was Tolkien who, in a conversation about myth, really converted him, C.S. Lewis himself, to Christianity. Um, and, and what he did was he, um, Lewis was commenting that myths, they seem to be, they're, they're utterly useless because they're lies. They're not true. It's like the tooth fairy or whatever. Um, but they're breathed through silver. In other words, they're, they're, they're nice, but they're not true. And then Tolkien, he said, no, actually, they're not lies. And then he says something like this. He says, like, he says that they were, for the ancients, the best way of conveying truths, which would otherwise be inexpressible. So they, they were trying to reach for something that they didn't have the words to, to convey, um, and they didn't have all of the, the, the knowledge of who God was, but there was something placed in their heart, and so they were using images in their own heart to, to, to tell these stories that were trying to reach for, they were trying to reach for God in a sense. Um, and so talking about, um, you know, the Greek gods, the Roman gods, all these different myths, sometimes we can just look at them and just say, well, they're all fairy stories. Or, you know, they're all fairy tales like the tooth fairy that they're wrong. Or you can look at them saying that there's something true that God is, is, is working in their hearts to reach out to something divine, but they just don't know the fullness of it. And then what Tolkien then said is he said, well, Christianity, the difference between this great story and all of the other stories is that this is one that actually happened. And that the author of this great story is God himself using real people, real events, to share the great story of who he is and how he came to, how he came to save us. And so Christianity is actually, he, he calls it true myth. It's the great story that actually happened. And all the other great stories kind of bow down to the one great story that truly happened in history, that Jesus Christ broke into the world and shows us through his own actions uh, who God is, someone who is inexpressible, someone that we could never know, but God's revealed him through the faith of Jesus Christ. That's such an awesome way of putting it, and just, you know, you don't think about it in, in that way, like, you know, true myth. Like you know, you hear those words, but then the way you 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 beautifully described it in in, in the way that uh, Tolkien would, I mean, it it makes sense. I mean, everything was was pointing to that. It 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 kind of reminds me of uh, what what uh, Venerable Fulton J. Sheen said, like like you know, truth is like a circle, and like you know, like you know, all these people, these pagan religions might have a few degrees, you know, and it points to it, but I mean, only that fullness then can be found, you know, in 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 the Catholic Church, you know, in the Catholic Christian faith. 
Yes. And and even um, so, Tolkien when he creates this myth, um, and and the way that he creates it is, um, so he was a he was a professor at um, uh, in, in Oxford. He he actually was the um, he's one of the editors of the of the Jerusalem Bible, one of the greatest translators on the book of Job in the Bible. And so he knew languages really, really well. And so what he did was so there's a lot of authors now that they just kind of say, well, I'm going to do a fantasy story. So I'm just going to make a world and poof, it's there. And he said, you know what, that's not going to have roots. So he said, I'm going to start first with language because he understood that all of the great cultures were formed first by language and by some of the great stories and the great tales that they would say, so the Song of Roland or the, the Arthurian legends or Beowulf or these different, they were, they kind of conveyed through language that then built culture. And then culture then provided the place oh. to be able to then have this myth. Um, and so what Tolkien did is he created the languages of the elves and the dwarves and, and all of them, and he created whole culture. Um, and then from there, he, he created this world of Middle-earth that's so real, and, and it's his way of saying, here's another story that is, that is in service of the great story that's bowing down, and that there's truth within it that'll help us to understand the great story of Jesus Christ even better. Oh my God. He, that's fast. He could, he could build an actual culture because he felt you couldn't make a culture without it. That's exactly what he thought. Then. Yeah, without the language. Yeah. Yeah. He, wow. he understood so, how true cultures were built. And, and that's why it's the test of some of the other stories that kind of done and your race and where people Oh, hold on one second. Hold on one second, Father. I'm sorry. You're you're breaking up a little bit. Um, let me see if I can get a little bit, a little bit area with reception here. Uh, can you hear me now? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, hold. Okay. There we go. Okay. Yeah. If you could just back that up just a little bit, I'm so sorry for that. No, no problem. Um, it's that's I think the power of um, these particular the, the 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 stories of Middle Earth are so real because there there is this this language, this culture, this this sense of of um of like something that's real and authentic. And and for Tolkien, mm-hmm. it it was a way of giving glory to God because he said that there's something called sub creation. And you see this in some of his other writings. There's these um all these other different stories that if anyone's like a super like nerd or geek of Tolkien, these are great things to jump into. There's this one called Leap by Niggle and there's all these other little funny stories, but they're all about um, uh, they're about art, and they're about um, uh, this sense of giving glory to God through subcreation. And the idea of subcreation is that only God can create out of nothing. Um, we can't do that. We just can't make a story. Um, we can't make a work of art just without you know out of nothing. We have to use paint. We have to use words. We have to use images that, that have been given to us 
um, that have been given to our minds, that have been placed into us. And then when we create a work of art, when we create a story that's beautiful um, and has truth in it, because we can also create stories and art that is destructive and evil and immoral, um, when we create those things that are true, good, and beautiful, we're imitating the, yeah. the creator. Um, and so it's a way of, we call it sub-creation, that we're participating uh, in some ways, analogously to a husband and wife participating in the creation of life. God is the author of life, and yet there's this way in which the husband and wife are truly participating, and they're, they're honoring God and glorifying him through being a part of this, this creation of new life. Like I mean, listen to this. It's just, it's just, it's just, it's just, it's what are maybe like one or two things? We point to that that that, that true reality. Um, So stay tuned, guys, and we're going to interview with him real quick. So stay tuned here on Andy. Hey, Father Andy, are you with us? I am. Oh, I am so sorry for that. It appears that all the... All the bugs might not be worked out with the technology yet, so. <laughs> um, no so we're 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 getting there. Um, but uh, I, I'm so sorry. Um, uh, I I I can't remember where, where we had left off, where we had gotten disconnected. Um, I, I know we were talking a little bit about um, some of the uh, examples that maybe people had uh had overlooked in the book in the book series. Oh um, sure, yeah. Yeah, maybe a couple different like themes or things that uh, maybe yeah. that we've we've seen as good stories, but we didn't realize how soaked they were with the gospel. Mhm. Mhm. Okay. Sure. I can I can talk about a couple of them. Um, yeah. One of one of them is is definitely the 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 whole theme of this. Uh, well, one of the easiest ones is. The whole scripture passage of no greater love has a man than that he lay down his life for his friends. Um, this is a very easy one of that sacrificial love that you see, um, the sense of being willing to lay down your life um, in defense of another. Um, and that's something that you see even in um, you know, the, the, the Knights of the Round Table or you know, things that, that's, very, that's very Christian. Um, so you have Gandalf, who um, you know lays down mm-hmm. his life at the um, the battle in Moria against the Balrog, 
Um, and there's even a resurrection moment where he comes back. There's, there's Boromir, who heroically lays down his life, even though he, he fell, um, but he was redeemed and regained his honor by, by trying to valiantly save the, the other hobbits. You have Frodo, who Frodo is an image actually of the priest. He is carrying his cross. The ring is very much a cross, the way that it's described, and he, he carries it um, he carries it alone, but also with the help of his friend, um, Sam. And so you even see the power of friendship over the force of arms to win the day. Um, but then there's some other things that maybe we, you know, there's some, there's some things that are easy to kind of miss. And, and one of them is this word. It's one that Tolkien created himself um, because he was so good at words, so he just made up this word. And it's called <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, and catastrophe. Catastrophe is like you know something, uh, you know, a catastrophe, a dreadful thing. But you, yeah. at the very Horrible. beginning, prefix is a good catastrophe. So we might think like, well, what does huh. that mean? Um, so that means <laughs> it's a sudden, joyful turn of events that can move the reader to tears that there can be this hope that wells up there. And uh, Tolkien would say this, in you catastrophe, we see a brief vision, a far-off gleam or echo of evangelium or, or gospel in the real world. Um, and so you see this um, in, in all of the great stories, but, but especially in The Lord of the Rings. Right. One of the greatest places is at the gates of Gondor, when you have that big giant battering ram that destroys the gates of Gondor and in comes the lord of the Nazgul, um, the, the witch king. And he comes in, he faces Gandalf, who's, who's there by himself. Everyone else has run. But then Gandalf, Gandalf first says, you know, go back. You know, go back to the nothingness that awaits you. And the lord mm-hmm. of the Nazgul, he takes off his, his hood. And he has these fiery eyes that are just floating there with the crown. He's a creepy-looking fellow. And he pulls out his sword <laughs> with flames. And he says, do you not see death? Or do you not know death when you see it? And he says, this is my hour. Curse and die in vain. And there's this moment where it seems like evil has just won. Um, and then it says this. It says, you know, and, and off in the courtyard, a cock crowed, uh, a rooster. Um, huh. signaling the coming of a newborn. And it says, you know, this wasn't anything reckoning of, of wizardry or, or, you know, anything, you know, powerful like that, but simply that morning is coming. But then it says, in answer to that, to that call um, of this morning dispelling the physical darkness, there was these horns, horns, and they were filling up all the surrounding countryside because Rohan has finally come. And Rohan is the, the, great, the great army of horse lords. And in this moment, you might have remembered this in the, um, there's this moment, there's also the great battle of Helm's Deep, where, where Aomer and Gandalf right. come down that hill and you just see this like, light coming out and the music is going and everything. And there's something that happens <laughs> in our heart in those moments. There's like a, there's this joy, there's this hope, there's this sense of, Something totally unexpected happened, and it's changed the whole course of history. And it seems like good now um, finally has this gleam of hope 
that ultimately becomes a, a burning sun that is able to drive away um, evil. And, and Tolkien would say this, actually, about that sort of experience. He said that in fairy stories, that's the highest um, form of fairy story that has this, this, in a sense, this like happy ending. Um, and it's, it's not something trivial because it's something that teaches us about our real world and the truth of the gospel and how the birth of Christ is the eucatastrophe of man's history. If you think about man's history all the way from Adam and Eve, it just gets pretty dismal and it just goes down and down and down. And then there's this surprise. Uh, people were looking for the Messiah, but they didn't know that the Messiah was actually going to be God himself and coming as a little baby, a poor baby. Right. And so there's this totally unexpected change in the story. Again, a story that is written like a myth, but it's written by God using real events, real people, and actually using himself. And so he comes, and all of a sudden there's that glory to God in the highest that the angels sing in the darkness of night saying that something different has happened. And because of that, everything will change. And the resurrection is another one of those eucatastrophes in the story of, of the incarnation of Christ being here on earth. No one would have thought that, that the Messiah would not only be crucified in a shameful way, but then rise from the dead. Um, it's, it's a story that begins and ends with joy. Um, and, and something that's important with this, too, that because sometimes you might look and say, you know, I'm, you know, I'm going through my life, and it doesn't seem like there's that happy ending at the end of life. Or maybe someone that I know maybe went through something difficult, and, and maybe they, they, they ended up having, you know, a tragic ending or so. Um, mm -hmm. And this is where even in Tolkien's world, there's, there's kind of a sadness that's there. There are these moments of joy and victory, but if you remember like Frodo, Frodo, mm -hmm. he still, he's still wounded after the whole thing is over. Um, ultimately, it ends with Frodo going off and being separated from his best friend. Um, there are these kind of moments, even with Arwen and Aragorn, that, that ultimately Arwen will, Aragorn will die um, and, and Arwen will go on. And so there's this whole kind of, uh, almost like a gloom that's there. But, but that's to show us that ultimately, the ultimate happy ending of the story is not meant for this world. That we are meant for so much more. And that we're pilgrims in this valley of tears. Um, and there are little glimpses of the gospel and victories on earth. But ultimately, that is... That is for when we finally come home um, to be wrapped by uh, the arms of our Father saying, well done, good and faithful servant. Absolutely. That, that's beautiful. That's, wow. It, it, it's so much to, to take in, and I, but I mean, it, it, it makes sense. And, I, you know, I, I think, I, think I, I would speak for a lot of people. I mean, we can think of these, these scenes you described and, and others in a, in a totally different light now. Um, and I, I, unfortunately, it's all the time we have. But I want to thank you so much for enlightening oh, us and and uh, yeah. t telling us these things. It's it, it's great. So uh, thank you so much. And uh, 
Hopefully, you do something like this again. Uh, if, in, um, I'll call you right back. I'll try. Thank you again uh, for coming on. Um, so, everybody, that, that's Father Andy. Father, thank you. Father um, Andy Davy, uh, thanks for tuning in today. Uh, the dude, hopefully, tomorrow, tune in. Uh, hopefully, to have some more content later in the week. Um, and please share with your friends. Please share uh, Anchor FM, you can find the app in the app store, and, and uh, simply search for the Catholic Dude. Until next time, take it easy, everyone. Goodbye.